well, time to go to work. Got your radio, James? Yeah, if you can call this shitbox a radio, yeah, I got it. You know, if just one person donated like a million dollars on Patreon, we wouldn't have to do these shit jobs. Uh, okay, you've got to stop doing these poorly disguised plugs for donations. You're like a beggar on the street corner who doesn't even have the dignity to admit he's homeless. Well, I'm not homeless. I can always sleep in the history Are lab. Are you kidding? That's why we're here. We can't even afford this month's rent if we don't start making some cash fast. Look, just shut up. We've got a museum to patrol. <sighs> All right. I guess I'll start by patrolling the natural history section. Then I'll go over to Eastern history and make sure that's on order. Great. I'll take American history and Rome. Well, you know what they say about taking Rome. Oh, no. You can't do it in a day. Oh, okay, yeah, I've heard that one. So you have to do it at night, as a night guard. Is this a joke, or...? It's, it's not a joke, it's the Doppler effect. What? That's not the Doppler effect? So after this battle, Teddy liked to be called the Colonel. Oh. <laughs> uh, and by the way, he hated the nickname Teddy. Ah, good to know. <laughs> Which is hilarious, because it kept coming up in the reading I was doing. Like, yeah. yeah, he hated the name Teddy. No, he really, really hated it. Like, he went on record saying he hated the name Teddy. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. I want ice cream. Good. How much? I don't know. We're working. Okay. We can't do it. <laughs> we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Theodore Roosevelt and Attila the Hun. Ah, what an odd couple. Well, I only picked them because they were the first two wax figures that I saw on patrol. What? You saw Teddy Roosevelt in the Eastern History Wing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he shouldn't be there. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I don't remember Theodore Roosevelt being much involved in ancient Asian history. Wait, James, did you see that? See what? Look! That dinosaur skeleton is moving! Oh. Uh, it's probably just animatronics or something? Well, those are either some pretty good animatronics or that thing's alive! I think we've got another Tommy's oh. titillating tiger train on uh, our hands! It's coming this way! Run! Run! Two men again. One is a Tiller the Hun, and the other is, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> I didn't write a trailer. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, I think we're safe. Yeah, for now. Don't worry, boys. You're safe with me. I can teach that dinosaur a thing or two if a Danes bother you again. What? Who are you? Why are you dressed in khaki military gear? A Aaron, I, I think that's Teddy Roosevelt. Nonsense! That's Robin Williams back from the grave. Welcome back, Robin! Are you here to make goodwill hunting too? No, sir. Your friend was correct. I am Theodore Roosevelt. It's a pleasure to meet the both of you. This can't be happening. I assure you it is. It is I, Theodore Roosevelt, in the wax. How, how are you alive? Magic! Great! Wow, this is so great to meet an American hero who never did anything wrong! Oh, no. I heard that you read at least one entire book every day. Aaron, may I speak for you for just a what? second? What, what? What is it? Well, you've got a lot to learn about Teddy Roosevelt. What? That guy? Yes, that guy. But he's so burly! And just look at that smile! <laughs> you better just get out the computer. All right, all right. Computer, please bring up Teddy Roosevelt and Attila the Hun. Primitive. 
Uh, so tell me, Aaron, what was Teddy Roosevelt best known for? Teddy Roosevelt is best known for being a totally perfect American president and writer. Uh... Uh, okay, well, hmm. yeah, we'll oh, see about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, what did he look like? <laughs> uh, you know what he looks like? Uh, but here he goes, any here. Blah, 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 blah. I can't talk, man. I can't talk. No. It's, it's a real problem. <laughs> oh, you already know what he looks like, but here goes anyway. He's a porker of a man with a great bushy mustache and slick back hair. His eyes are kind of narrowed in every one of his pictures, like he's seeing the un-American thoughts in your mind at every moment. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Shit. So tell me, uh, James, what was Attila the Hun best known for? Attila the Hun is best known for being the scourge of God. Ah. Yes. <laughs> so what did he look like? Uh, well, it turns out that once again, we don't really have any idea what Attila looked like. Okay. Uh, and there's actually a lot of speculation on Attila the Hun's life, because first of all, we don't have many sources on him, and second of all, the sources that we do have were written by the Greeks and the Romans. Right. Who were his enemies. Okay. So it kind of lies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thankfully, I did find one second-hand source describing what Attila looked like. It was written by some Roman guy named Jordanes, 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 <laughs> and here it is. He was a man born into the world to shake the nations, the scourge of all the lands, who in some way terrified all mankind by the dreadful rumors noised abroad concerning him. He was haughty in his walk, rolling his eyes hither and thither, so that the power of his proud spirit appeared in the movement of his body. He was indeed a lover of war, yet restrained in action, mighty in counsel, gracious to suppliance, and lenient to those who were once received into his protection. Short of stature, with a broad chest and a large head, his eyes were small, his beard thin and sprinkled with gray, and he had a flat nose and tan skin showing evidence of his origin. Yeah, so that got a little racist this thing's going on, but... <laughs> uh, who cares? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so why don't we just, you know... We are working, but I feel like we should just go on with this. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. so, too. So let's just uh, roll right over into Theodore Roosevelt's early life. Please do tell. Teddy Roosevelt was born in late October in 1858 in New York City. His parents were Theodore Roosevelt Sr. and Martha Stewart Roosevelt. <laughs> Yes, Martha Stewart. Uh, uh, yeah. No joke needed. Nope. <laughs> uh, his mother was a socialite known for being a big supporter of the Confederacy during the American Ooh. Civil War. Interesting. Uh, that's because her brothers fought for the Confederacy and one of them was killed in action. Uh, Teddy's father was a glass importer who helped found the Children's Aid Society, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the American Museum of Natural History. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, Teddy's parents were kind of a power couple in New York City sure. at that time, which is kind of a good thing because it meant they could take care of Teddy. You see, Teddy Roosevelt had asthma and he he had it bad. Oh. Uh, sometimes he nearly died in the middle of the night from asthma oh, attacks. God. Yeah, and doctors couldn't do anything either. Um, and it's like you, you would think a kid with this kind of poor health, a kid might be grounded to his home. Yeah. Uh, but Teddy's parents weren't actually that restrictive on him. Okay. Um, they believed that even though a kid might be sick, he still ought to be allowed to grow up like a normal little boy. Uh, yeah. So they gave him his fair share of free reign, which, you know, good for them. Kids need that. Yeah, right? yeah, that's true. I mean, even if they might die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, with this freedom at seven years old, Teddy... Uh, bought a seal's head and practiced taxidermy on it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Humble beginnings. Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. So he also caught and killed lots of other animals and put together the Roosevelt Museum of National uh, National Natural History, uh, which was just a lot of taxidermied animal animals and things like that. Oh, okay. So yeah. at yeah, at seven uh, <laughs> at seven he did that when he was seven. Okay. So he's got all these stuffed animals that are real animals at seven. Yes. Cool. At nine he was writing scientific papers about insects <laughs> for real. Okay. So he's smart. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so while Teddy was growing up.
up in the Oh my god, do you know what time it is, no. James? It's time for the war of northern aggression! It's time for the Civil War! Uh-oh! Anyway, okay. this is important because Teddy's dad was mega pro-union. Yikes! Yes! And, and his, his mom isn't. Yeah, the opposite. Mm. Uh, but his dad was so pro-union that he was actually active in recruiting and funding programs to fight the Confederacy. Okay. Uh, and he did this even though it pissed off his wife and his in-laws. Sure. So, you know, make of that what you will. Yeah. Uh, Teddy really liked his old dad, and I have a quote from him uh, that I rather liked. Okay. Um... My father, Theodore Roosevelt, was the best man I ever knew. He combined strength and courage with gentleness, tenderness, and great unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us children selfishness or cruelty, idleness, cowardice, or, cowardice or untruthfulness. Did he have a stuttering problem? Yeah, or? Okay. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Sorry. Um, <laughs> which, that sounds like kind of a good dad to me. Those yeah. Are, those yeah, are good yeah. qualities. And I may be a bit biased because my dad basically embodies those values, mm. but I don't know, really struck me. Yeah. Uh, not only did Teddy's daddy-o encourage traditional values in his kid, but he also took them fucking everywhere. <laughs> okay. Uh, they went to Europe, and I mean all of Europe, yeah. as well as Egypt. Uh, one of their major stops was in the Alps, where Roosevelt discovered that hiking in thin air actually helped his asthma, despite, huh. you know, that being probably deadly in most yeah. cases. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Roosevelt decides he's got he's to gotta get swole, <laughs> um, but he doesn't do it quite fast enough because he gets bullied and beaten up by a couple of older boys on a camping trip. Oh, jeez. So he decides to hire a boxer to teach him how to fight. <laughs> yes. This man is basically turning himself into a stalwart pillar of traditional masculinity, yeah. uh, which has its benefits, and as we'll see later, it's problemos unique to being that kind of person. Ah, okay. Yes. So it's worth noting that Roosevelt was homeschooled and was Yay. extremely well-versed in history, which, yes, good, but he he was also good with biology, French, and German. He was not good at math. Okay. Uh, nonetheless, he still went to Harvard in 1876 <laughs> at 18 years old. Okay. Uh, less than two years later, his father died suddenly. Oh. Yeah, and it knocked him back a bit, so yeah. he was struggling with school, but only for a little bit. Uh, after recovering from his father's death, Teddy got his shit together and started doing even more work at school and made even better grades. Okay, he's yeah. going somewhere. Right, so at Harvard he studied science, philosophy, speech, and all those other good things. Uh, worth noting, he also had a photographic memory. <laughs> so he read like crazy and retained it all. Cool. Uh, he was also adept at rowing and boxing, almost winning a boxing tournament but losing the final round. Uh. Yeah, so he was in Delta, uh, Delta Kappa Epsilon Frat, hmm. which would be embroiled in controversy a few times throughout its history. Okay, yeah. Uh, one time, a couple of decades after Teddy's time at Harvard, a bunch of these frat guys blindfolded a potential member and had him run directly at a coffee shop. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea, right? Uh, sure. Nope, the oh. kid crashed into a carriage post and died five <laughs> days later. Oh. I know. Oh. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Oh, oh shit, I just read the same line. <laughs> Uh, so interestingly enough, George Bush was in this frat too, huh. and in 1967, DKE was taken to task by the New York Times for branding its members with a D. Oh, actually branding? Branding. Like them. with hot iron? Yes, with, oh, God. with red hot irons, and it, not a delta, by the way, a D. <laughs> so like, yeah. So, uh, oh. But George Bush said that these reports were false and that the brandings were merely members putting cigarettes out on the flesh of new <laughs> Oh, that's better. So not okay. a big deal, Good. you know. Yes. Uh, and this hazing didn't stop, by the way, DK. Members have historically been forced to spend hours uh, trapped in small plywood boxes. Oh. Uh, they've been deprived of sleep. And also been forced to eat vomit. And yeah, ah. that kind of thing. <laughs> it's pretty much no wonder DKE also has a ton of problems with sexual harassments and rape. Uh, several members <laughs> over several years and quite recently have used roofies on people, mm. which, you know, go jump off a fucking bridge. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this is the frat that Tony Ro <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was in. Tony Ro Roosevelt? Tony? Uh, Mamma mia. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that's just life, right? Yeah. Yeah, so schools were filled with this kind of shit, and it was nowhere near as bad as boys' boarding school. Okay. Uh, I remember I read C.S. Lewis's autobiography, and he spent some time in boarding school, and it was like, what the fuck was wrong with people? Oh, God. Boys were shoving each other into coal boxes and leaving them there for days oh. at a time. They got beaten with sticks for failing to make toast properly. <laughs> was hard back then because yeah. you know no toasters just an open flame oh. and sometimes they didn't even give you a poker to toast the toast sometimes <laughs> the older boys would make the younger ones toast with their hands and then they might want another piece oh. and again if you fucked it up they made you do it again where, where is <laughs> read the book it's oh. crazy actually okay. read, read any book by any classical writer from back then who went to boys school they're oh. all like it was awful yeah. all the way through okay. so anyway Teddy, we're getting back to him. Yeah. yeah. yeah Teddy graduated yeah. from Harvard uh, magnum, cum, magna cum laude. Hmm. Uh, but uh, Teddy considered the experience overall to be kind of wanting. Oh, okay. Uh, he didn't like the formalism of the place. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, it was a school from back in the era. And a lot of writers who lived through that era, like George Orwell, uh, for example, really hated the formalism. So okay. Teddy wasn't alone. Sure, yeah. So Teddy's got his degree, and he's also got $125,000 inherited from his late father, oh. which is close to $3 million ah. today. So <laughs> okay. he's set, right? Yes. Yes, but Teddy isn't about the non-strenuous life. He wants to do something, not just exist. So off to Columbia Law School he goes! Cool. But he finds it lacking and kind of hates studying the law. Instead, he really gets interested in the War of 1812 and writes a book about it. Oh, okay. So his Fair main enough. goal... <laughs> his main goal, being at law school, is to leverage a career as a lawyer to get him a career as a politician. Sure. So he joins the Republican Party. Okay. Gets elected state assemblyman and then drops out of law school to finish his book on the War of 1812. Like you should. Yeah. Now, this book is known for being one of the most in-depth analyses of naval warfare of that era. Oh. And to Teddy's credit, even trained historians pretty much universally praised his work. Wow. Uh, in fact, the book is still being used today in naval academies and the like, which makes me want to read it. Hello, Pickles. Uh, hey. Hey there. Would you like to say a few words? Why was he in the museum? Why is he here? <laughs> he just follows us everywhere. Okay. He is the mouthpiece of Satan, after all. That's true. Yeah. So, anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah. Something so, it's, book? it's the book. The yeah, book. It's yeah, still yeah, being yeah. used in naval academies. Um, but anyway, so in 1880, uh, Roosevelt marries Alice Lee. Hmm. Uh, but Alice dies only four years later from kidney oh, failure. Oh, God. Uh, two days after having a daughter. Oh, that's uh, good. Within 11 hours in the same house, Teddy's mom dies, Oh, too. gosh. Uh, in his diary, uh, Roosevelt notoriously wrote a large X on the page, and then beneath, the light has gone out of my life. That's so sad. I know. It's Holy horrible. shit. So he left New York City and his new daughter in the care of his sister. He left his daughter in, in the care of his sister. Okay. Uh, and just went off to grieve, basically. Oh, man. The only thing that kept him moving, however, was his work. Yeah. Interestingly enough, after this tragedy, he almost never spoke of his first wife, Alice, and even left her out of his autobiography. <sighs> and I get that. Uh, really? Yeah. It, it hurt him a lot, so probably not one oh. to dwell on it. So anyway, Roosevelt goes to work rooting out corruption. Good. In one case, uh, uncovers something so hugely corrupt it makes him effectively famous in New York. Oh, wow. Around this time, 1882, the Republican Party is really struggling because James Garfield, a Republican, uh, has just been murdered by Thomas Guiteau. Oh, that guy, yeah. Go listen to the Thomas Guiteau episode, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Teddy seems to be the only one of the, one of the few who did not suffer from the chaos of the event. Like, he held on. And he was elected sure. to the New York State Assembly and wrote more bills than any other legislator. Uh, okay. Anyway, politics, politics, politics. He gains fame and whatnot, and that's where we'll stop for now. Yeah, yeah. 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 The less politics, the better. Yes, indeed. Yes. So shall we just roll right over into Attila the Hun's early life? Uh, yeah, I think so. I just kicked the cat. I'm oh. so sorry. <laughs> well, you shouldn't walk near uh, where you're kicking. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. 
Okay, so uh-uh. let's uh, tell the Huns early life. Okay. And we will start this section with another disclaimer. Woo! So as I mentioned before, pretty much all of our sources on Attila the Hun are Greek or Roman, and the Greeks and Romans didn't really like Attila because he pre- pre- because he preferred the PlayStation, oh. and we all know the Roman Empire was all about the Xbox. Right. Uh, but anyway, these sources <laughs> are probably biased, and so from what I could find, historians have done the best they can uh, piecing together Attila's life, but it's still somewhat speculative. Okay. Anyway, though, let's talk about some background information. Perfecto! Uh, So, the Roman Empire has split into the eastern and western halves. Right. The eastern half capital is Constantinople, or Istanbul, for you ignorant fucks. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Wait. Yeah? What year? Around what time? I want to imagine this properly. Uh, It's like the 400s. The 400s, yes. So, Constantinople... Yeah, and the western half of the east uh, of the Roman Empire is Ravenna in northern Italy, okay. not Rome at this point. Interesting. Yeah, um, mm. and things are not looking too good for our friends, the Romans. Okay. The western half is dealing with rebellions and bad economies and bad harvests and inflation and monumental national debt and hostile neighbors. Oh God. And the eastern half is doing somewhat better, but then, uh, oh, oh my God, oh, no. uh, Aaron, do you know what time it is? Oh no! It's time for the Hun invasion. Oh God. Yeah, so the the Huns were a nomadic people living on the Russian steppes, and most historians think the Huns were a combination of Turkic, Mongolian, and East Asian peoples. Okay. Uh, They didn't really live in settlements, but instead lived a lifestyle completely based on horses. Horses? Okay. Yeah, they moved on horses, fought on horses, and used horses to move herds of other animals, and ate pretty much entirely meat and milk for sustenance. Really? Wow. Mm. Uh, But now the year is about 370 CE, so I lied to you earlier. It's not the 400s, it's 370. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And the Hunnic kings, and yes, I said kings, they have two kings who rule together. Oh. Yeah, so these two Hunnic kings named Akhtar and Ruga decide that Central Europe looks mighty tasty. Oh! <laughs> and so the Huns invade Central Europe. Alright. And the Huns just kick the asses of everybody they come across. <laughs> okay. uh, they take over the Alans and all the land of the Alans. They defeat a bunch of goth barbarians who are too busy dressing in black and listening to shitty music. <laughs> and then they moved into Germania, which is Germany, okay. and start beating up on all the Germanic tribes. Oh. And this causes problems. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so these Germanic tribes are terrible of the Huns because they don't think the Huns can lose in combat. Uh, so the Germans just start fleeing in the opposite direction directly into the Western Roman Empire. Okay. Which causes massive problems for the Romans. Of course. And remember that barbarian people group called the Goths? Yes! Well, yeah, they can actually fight pretty well and they decide to go into Eastern Roman territory where they crush a Roman army and actually kill the Roman Emperor Valens. Oh, God! Uh, during the Battle of Adrianople in 378 CE. Wow. So things are not looking good for the the Romans. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the Huns go, uh, things are looking rather splendid. Oh! Uh, so the dual kings, Akhtar and Ruga, have taken over pretty much most of modern-day Poland, Hungary, Germania, Bulgaria, Romania, etc. Oh, wow. That whole that whole area. Okay. Uh, but for now, the Romans and the Huns haven't yet faced each other in battle. Mm. In fact, they're kind of like friends. Huh? Yeah, so the Romans were dealing with all these angry Germanic hordes that had fled the Huns, so they needed mercenaries to fill their ranks, and why not hire some Hun warriors to help out? Why not? So the Romans start paying the Huns in return for a supply of warriors, but this is kind of complicated. Okay. The Romans claim that this payment is simply an investment for soldiers, uh, but the Huns kind of see the payment as a please don't attack us tribute. Okay. And as some church guy in Constantinople said, the 
Huns have become both masters and slaves of the Romans. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so our boy Attila is born into this sort of crazy situation. And there's debate on Attila's birth date, but it is somewhere around 406 CE. And he was born to a pretty important family because his uncle was actually King Ruga. Oh. And his other uncle was the other king, King Akhtar, because oh. they were brothers. Right, right. And the third brother didn't get to be king, which is sad. <laughs> <laughs> he just had Attila. Okay. Uh, anyway, so Attila also has a brother named Bleda, or Bleda, I don't know. But okay. he's important to remember him. Okay. Uh, and because of how Hunnic succession worked, it was planned that Attila and his brother Bleda would be the new Hunnic kings once the current ones died. Okay. Because of this, both brothers were trained how to ride horses, fight with all sorts of weapons, taught military tactics, and probably sent to the Eastern Roman Empire to study Latin and Greek. Okay. So things are looking pretty good for young Attila and his brother Bleda. I should say so! Uh, and then King Akdar dies, and then King Ruga dies, and so now Attila and Bleda become the new Hun kings. Yay! So somewhere around the year 434, uh, the new brothers are are probably in their 20s okay. and they're kings Perfect. and they are ready for some all expanding the empire which is probably a good place to leave them for now excellent and i think we should take a quick break i think so okay yeah okay yeah, yeah. so welcome back to we talk about dead people and uh, when we left off, we were talking about Attila the Hun's early life, and now we're going to be talking about Theodore Roosevelt's adult life. Cool. Get ready. It's going to cool. It's going to be a doozy. Cool. Yeah. So when we left old Teddy Roosevelt, he'd been through a lot. He's yeah. a politician now, but his parents are dead, and so is his wife. Ugh. Lots of tragedy. Either way, he's an up-and-coming politician of the Republican Party, but he's kind of done with politics sure. for now. So he moves to North Dakota to become a cowboy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what a Republican. I know. So yeah. he, he built. Um. Well. We'll see. Oh, dear. He builds a ranch in Medora, uh, North Dakota, and learns to ride like a cowboy, lasso things like a cowboy, and hunt like a cowboy. Whoa. And being a writer, he writes three books about being a cowboy. Uh -oh. He also gets involved with local issues like overgrazing and conservation efforts, and that will come up later. Okay. Uh, but it's not to last. Oh. In 1886, the winter gets so bad in North Dakota, it literally kills Teddy's entire herd of cattle. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. And boy, do I have a story for you about frozen cows. Wait, really? Yep, yep. <laughs> for real. Okay, it, do tell. It comes from my dad. Uh-huh. Um, so, there was a really cold winter in Indiana. Where is that where your dad grew up? That's where my dad okay. grew up. Cool. And uh, some cows froze in the field. Oh, jeez. They just freeze because there's nowhere for them to go. And you oh. know, the farmers are like, get in the trailer! And they're like, ah, it's too cold, we can't get in the trailer! So, you know, they freeze. Uh-oh. <laughs> right, so... My dad's driving along, and this is probably not the most accurate telling of the story. He'd have to tell you himself. But sure, he, sure. He's driving along with his friends, and he looks out, and he sees this cow frozen in the field. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a bit of a prankster. He <laughs> told me stories all the time. Oh, so no. they go out, and they snap a leg off his Oh, cow. my God! <laughs> the cow's dead, obviously. The cow's dead. Okay. <laughs> and then they go home, and... <laughs> He sneaks into his parents' room oh, no. and ties it above their bed while they're sleeping. <laughs> and about like a, an hour later or so, his parents start to notice dripping coming oh, from above. So they turn on the light and there's just this cow's leg hanging above oh. their bed. I know, it's pretty fucked up. Wow. <laughs> that would probably make the news today. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't part of a satanic ritual or anything. Oh, well, not no, yet. No, it was just because my dad was a huge prankster. <laughs> yeah. He got chased by the cops through cornfields a couple of times. Oh, jeez, yeah, okay. I know. But anyway, so... We're gonna send him to jail. <laughs> Teddy's cows were all frozen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And his career as a cowboy is basically over. 
Sure. Around this time, Teddy got married to Edith Kermit Caro. Okay. Uh, and he was uh, conflicted about it because he got married not too long after his first wife's death. Oh, yeah. Um, but he was determined to have a family. Sure. So they had five kids together and brought uh, Alice, Roosevelt's uh, first wife's daughter, sure. into the family. Okay, cool. Uh, so he's back in New York. And a whole bunch of people nominate him to run for mayor of New York City. Cool. He runs and loses. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, however, so he writes another book called The Winning of the West, which is all about the colonization of the American West. Oh, okay. So, uh, fun. Lots of books. Yeah. But yeah, it was about the colonization of the American West. Cool. So Manifest destiny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he also gets involved in politics again and does some shit that's not at all interesting. Cool. Uh, suffice <laughs> to say, he's building a reputation as a political strongman. Hmm. Uh, he basically beats his opponents in submission. That's kind of his strategy. Sure. He's put on the board of the New York City Police Commissioners and reforms the police force, implementing new and more rigorous physical requirements for police officers uh, and combating corruption. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, good. He would walk the streets at night to make sure officers were doing their jobs and not just napping somewhere. Cool. Yeah. yeah so good. Yeah, there's some integrity here. Yeah. So after William McKinley won the 1896 presidential election, Teddy started to push some views about how the country needed to be built. Uh, well, it needed to build up its navy immediately. Well, he wrote that book about the 1812 right. Navy, so right. he's a Navy man. Right, right. Cool. Uh, he was influenced by a particular writer who contended that the most important thing for a military to have is a strong Navy. Right. From sea to shining sea. From I mean, we, <laughs> we have two oceans. <laughs> kind of makes sense. Yeah. We own the oceans. Yes, yeah. the oceans are ours. <laughs> he also wanted Spain to be ejected from Cuba. Okay. Which, you know. So it was still a Spanish they're colony. They're there. Yeah, it's a still, still a Spanish colony. Yeah. Uh, colony. So he wanted the country to be independent. That, okay. That's why. Yeah. So he didn't like the Europeans having dominion over places in America, which make of that what you will. Uh, Monroe um, Doctrine. The, what was it? The Monroe Doctrine, uh, I believe. Explain that to me. Uh, I, I think President Monroe told Europe to get the fuck out of the Americas because <laughs> the United States basically owns the Americas. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Well, so something pretty significant occurred in Cuba around this time. Okay. So here's the gist. Yes. There's this ship docked in Havana called the Maine. And it, it was there to oversee the ongoing Cuban War of Independence uh, to make sure it turned out in America's favor. So basically, oh, like, yeah. life insurance for the War of Independence. <laughs> yeah. Well, it exploded, and people weren't sure why. And about oh. 250 soldiers uh, and sailors were killed overall. Oh, geez. So who's to blame? Well, before the facts had even been investigated, the U.S. basically starts saying that Spain blew it up. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But again, the facts aren't in. And Roosevelt is in this camp of opinion, so without approval from the president, he does the obvious, and he sends all the warships around Havana to prepare for war. Uh, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, yes, he got in trouble for that. Okay. Uh, so, two months later, the Spanish-American War begins, and Teddy is super on board. Ooh. So on board, in fact, that he resigns his political positions and forms a volunteer cavalry regiment, oh, okay. aiming to personally lead these men into battle. Yes. And these fellows are known as the Rough Riders. I was expecting you to say something. I'm not going to make a sexual joke, so <laughs> fuck you. I'm better than that. Good for you. So they trained in San Antonio, uh, which is in Texas, if you don't know. Okay. Uh, and they were just like a grab bag of volunteers. Yeah. So you had athletes, gentlemen, ex-soldiers, hunters, miners, Native Americans, prospectors, just like... All over the board. Sure, yeah. Uh, anyway, they train up and head for Cuba, arriving there on June 23rd, 1898. Okay. And they quickly get into a battle, the ladle, uh, the ladle, the, the battle, <laughs> the battle of Las Guazimas uh, with the Spanish. And one guy named Wheeler, who was an officer in the Confederacy, gets so excited that he shouts, we've got the damn Yanks on the run again. 
which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. He got his wars mixed up, yeah. the poor man. And he was dead wrong <laughs> because he basically lost the battle, oh. accruing 17 dead and 52 <laughs> wounded, while the Spaniards only lost seven men. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but when I say he lost the battle, I just mean in terms of lives, they actually managed to get the Spanish to retreat from their position. Oh, sure. So he didn't lose the battle. I'm just being an asshole. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. what happens next is a fun one. Hmm. It's called the Battle of San Juan Hill, and it's a doozy. Okay. I'm going to break this down the best I can. There's about 760 Spanish soldiers surrounded uh, and holding out, or sorry, they're surrounded and holding out on some hill fort. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the Spanish are surrounded. Yeah. Uh, there's also the cavalry brigade just kind of sitting out in the open, getting picked off uh, while waiting for orders to charge. Huh. So the Spanish are shooting at these guys on horses who are just kind of like, can we do something? And yeah. the officers are like, hold for orders, please. Hold position. Uh, so they're getting really frustrated. Mm -hmm. uh, so finally they have advance and they take the hill by using Gatling guns, oh. which if you don't know are essentially machine guns, Yeah. Uh, to suppress the Spanish so much that they can't even get a shot off wow. anymore. Right. So... Nearby, Teddy and his rough riders are assaulting another hill called Kettle Hill. Hmm. Now, James might have more to say about this than I do, but basically what happened is the same thing. Gatling guns are suppressing the Spanish, and Teddy's men are advancing slowly but surely up the hill. Here's a quote from John Pershing, who was there. Oh. The entire command moved forward as coolly as though the buzzing of bullets was the humming of bees. <laughs> White regiments, black regiments, regulars, and rough riders, representing the young manhood of the North and the South, fought shoulder to shoulder, unmindful of race or color, unmindful of whether commanded by ex-Confederate or not, and mindful of only their common duty as Americans. Cool. Is that what happened, James? Yeah, something like that. Well, we should remember that uh, at this point in time, American uh, divisions were still segregated. Mm -hmm. So blacks and whites, uh, they were, you know, putting their own battle lines, right. which is pretty shitty. Yeah. Uh, and also, I I'm not an expert at this, but... I know there's been some controversy about the this battle in that Teddy Roosevelt pretty much took all the he he took all the glory him and his Rough Riders yes when actually I believe it was a group of Black uh, American soldiers uh, yes called the Buffalo Soldiers yes. I believe yes. and they took pretty much the biggest beating and were the ones who really won the battle now this is there is some debate about this but. In the end, Teddy Roosevelt didn't give the black soldiers as as much uh, glory as he should have. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is shitty. Well, and controversy is just history. You're going to yeah. find multiple interpretations and reports and that sort of thing. And yeah. You have to do your best to gel them together. Um, but anyway... So anyway, the yes. Americans win. Right. And then they fight off a counterattack. Okay. And this essentially secures victory in Cuba. Cool. So in 2001, Roosevelt was post posthumously yes. <laughs> awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions at Kettle Hill. Oh, okay, <laughs> wow. So after this battle, Teddy liked to be called the Colonel. Oh. <laughs> uh, and by the way, he hated the nickname Teddy. Ah, good to know. <laughs> Which is hilarious because it kept coming up in the reading I was doing. Like, yeah. yeah, he hated the name Teddy. No, he really, really hated Like he went on record <laughs> saying he hated the name Teddy. It reminds me of Caligula who hated being called Caligula, but I don't even remember his full name. Yeah, That's yeah. just what we remember him as. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, the next thing that happens is that Teddy goes back to New York and gets elected governor. Oh, oh so this time he won. Then he does some things. Hmm. Little things. Things I'm not going to bother with. Okay. They're boring. And, yeah. and honestly, if you care about like oh, he like, he spent $20 to, to buy a man a sandwich. I'm like, you know, good? 
who pays $20 for a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> so then he became vice president. Yeah. In 1901. Wow. Uh, and if it seems like I'm leaving out a lot, it's because I am. <laughs> I don't care about political moves and shit like that. <laughs> and especially ones that don't seem to make a difference. And uh, were more than 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, he's getting big. Yeah. Uh, so then the unthinkable happens, and President McKinley is shocked and eventually died. Jeez. Meaning that Teddy Roosevelt is now the president. <laughs> oh. Just like that. Uh, wow. And so one of the first things he does as president is he invites Booker T. Washington to the White House. Hmm. And if you don't know who Booker T. Washington is, uh, one, read about him. But yep. two, he was an ex-slave who became a major leader in the African-American community post-emancipation. Yeah, pretty cool guy. Uh, so Teddy invites him to dinner and reports that the two had a great time and that they were planning to do it again. Oh. And then, boom, his political popularity in the South collapses. Ah. <laughs> so Teddy, being an honorable man, says that he's going to have Booker back for the dinner anyway. Good for him. Just kidding. He cancels all their dinner <laughs> Come on. I know. Oh. So what did Teddy Roosevelt do next as president? I don't know. Well, he did a few things. As for his domestic policy, he got a good start by going after monopolies that were popping up all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, he was also the first president to settle a labor dispute after some coal miners went on strike. But his main achievement was establishing some major conservation movements. Oh, yes. Yes. He created five national parks, 51 bird reserves, a four game reserves and 150 national forests. Whoa. Uh, up to this point, the land was basically fair game that now is protected, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the national parks. The way he did it, however, is a little Okay. He did it all through executive orders, which, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Congress passed a bill that he signed into law, basically preventing him from doing it anymore after good. the fact. But he literally kept sending off executive orders until the last minute, <laughs> at which point he signed the bill. Oh, yes. Uh, so, good. now well, that's all for domestic policy, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into foreign policy. Please. So, Roosevelt has been described as an ardent imperialist. Right. And he proved this by being, like, all about conquering the Philippines. Uh, <laughs> Why the... What? The Philippines are so far away! <laughs> well, yes, but, the, you know, we want them. <laughs> oh, right. Well, and if he's all about the Navy, I guess we need Navy bases everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that keeps popping up. A yes. Bit. So he wants the, he wants the Philippines. Sure. Uh, but he also focused pretty heavily on making what he could out of the Caribbean and mm. also built this thing called the Panama Canal. Oh, that little thing. Now a word on this. <laughs> Quite a long time after the New World had been conquered, there was no way to reach Asia from the West without going all the way around the Horn of Africa or the Horn of South America. Sure. Right. Yep. So this was a long and difficult journey, and cutting a pathway through South America would make it easier for European ships to make their way to the spoils of the East. The wonders of the Orient. <laughs> <laughs> I love that card. Yeah, cards against uh, humanity. Yeah, play the game, everybody. <laughs> Though you probably all played it and you're like, these fuckers are like five years behind. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I find the Panama Canal kind of boring, so enough of that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, Roosevelt was also great friends with the press. Sure. Uh, once there were a bunch of reporters outside the White House and it was raining, so he was like, come on in. Oh. And thus the presidential press briefing room was born. Cool. Uh, in 1904, Roosevelt got his second term and the election map of this whole thing is just hilarious. <laughs> the entire South voted Democrat and the entire North, as well as California, voted Republican. <laughs> how huh. strange. Yeah. And actually, we'll get into this a little bit, how that shift happened. Okay, cool. Because it happened around this era. Right. Uh, so anyway, he's in for his second term. He star uh, got started by calling for a federal income tax mm. and an inheritance tax. Mm. How nice. Mm -hmm. uh, but kind of nothing else happened in his second term, so we're going to go to his post-presidency years now. Get ready. Okay. And they're much better than his presidency years. His presidency <laughs> years are like, did you do anything, man? Yeah. Like, okay, you, yeah. you built a canal. That's kind of cool. He also did it by questionable methods and got sued a couple times. <laughs> well, I know when he was in the Philippines, too, there was some controversy about... 
you know, 30,000 people dying. and then What? Like a couple, well, and then cholera somehow spread and killed a bunch more Filipino people. Wait, but, are you telling me that Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt personally infected 30,000 Filipinos yes. with yes. cholera? Yes, he traveled there uh, in a canoe <laughs> with a bag full of cholera that he got at Kmart for a two-for-one special oh, man. and gave it to the Filipino people. What no, I, do? I don't know the details. I just read this. What did he do with the other bag of cholera? Because you said it was a two-for-one special. Oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're not sure. Um, and it's called the Great Teddy Controversy. <laughs> and I think it was covered in the Da Vinci Code, if I remember oh, correctly. God. But it has something to do with the Holy Grail. Okay. Uh, not sure. <laughs> oh, so that's what happened to the guy in Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. It was just a really bad case of cholera. Yes. I mean, you die of dehydration. He just shriveled up. Right. Turned into dust. Perfect. So, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's real history, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he could run for a third term, right? He's done yeah, his presidency. Yeah. He could run for a third term. Uh, but he said he didn't want to because he believed it would set an example for anyone who decided they wanted to make America into a dictatorship. Oh. This was despite his potential voters uh, chanting creatively, four more years <laughs> at the Republican <laughs> convention. Um, but you know what? I'm actually really glad to be out of his presidency. <laughs> So let's move on to the excellent shit. Okay. So in 1909, Roosevelt went on a safari. <laughs> specifically, the Smithsonian Roosevelt African Expedition. Okay. They landed in Mombasa, British East Africa, which is now called Kenya. Mm. And then they headed into the Congo and then kind of everywhere except South Africa. Sure. Uh, the purpose of this expedition was to hunt for specimens for the Smithsonian and the American Museum of Natural History. The expedition was led by a pair of big game hunters called R.J. Cunningham and Frederick Seelis. Cool. So here's the thing. Uh-huh. They killed or trapped about 12,000 animals, oh, give or God. take about 600. Oh. This included everything from bugs to fucking white rhinos, of which they killed six. Yeah. Now this sounds brutal, and it is. But Roosevelt's rationale for this high number was basically uh -huh. that no one had preserved these animals yet. It needed to happen, and he figured it should only happen once. Okay. And I've seen these museums in, uh, these animals in museums, like in New York and Washington, D.C. Yeah. It is a sight to behold. Yeah. Um, You've got these hundred-year-old animals looking fresh off the African continent. Huh. Uh, some that aren't even around anymore. Yeah, for didn't, real. Didn't the last male white rhino just die? I don't know. I, I looked it up. It looks like they're they're actually well. There's two breeds. Okay. And they're actually experiencing something like a resurgence. Oh. So there's like not a lot of them, but there are more of them than you know before. Yeah, I don't know. I just saw some Facebook fucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> We've killed all the rhinos. <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but anyway, so yeah, I've seen them. Uh, okay, cool. Well, I'm less inclined to criticize Roosevelt for hunting uh, in the name of science than I am to criticize big game hunters for hunting in the name of sport. Yeah, controversial maybe, but while poachers and their lot are not responsible for the six white rhinos that Roosevelt killed, they are the ones responsible for nearly driving them out of existence. Right. So you know, not black and white, just white. <laughs> They're white rhinos. <laughs> okay. So the next stop for Roosevelt is Europe, where he doesn't meet the Pope, uh, but he does meet Kaiser Wilhelm II. He, like, turned down a meeting with the Pope. Oh, cool. Uh, he meets with Kaiser Wilhelm II, King George V, and Franz Joseph of Austria-Hungary. Oh, okay. He also visited Norway, Whoa. where he called for limitations on worldwide navies, which is hilarious, <laughs> because he spent his presidency bolstering the American Navy yeah. to be literally second only to Britain. Cool. Uh, but he also advocated uh, for the League of Peace, 
peace among the world powers, oh. which were the sort of the first whispers of the League of Nations and later the UN. Yeah. So in 1910, Roosevelt was back in the States. Cool. So basically, tour of Europe just met with people and said shit. Oh, that's yeah. that's fine. Now yeah. the president uh, right now is William Taft. You know, the fat one. Oh yeah, <laughs> in the bathtub. Yeah. yeah. He could, but he did more than uh, than get stuck in a bathtub. Yeah. Uh, so you see, Roosevelt had spent a few years grooming Taft to basically be Teddy Roosevelt 2.0. Ah. And Taft was not about to be just some clone. Sure. Uh, now, Roosevelt had sort of hoped that Taft would uh, keep him clued in on the upper levels of whatever was going on in D.C., but yeah. Taft did no such thing! That's probably good. <laughs> yeah. Also, Taft had started to advocate for more power going to conservatives, which is not good in Teddy's view, because Teddy is a progressive. So anyway, uh, Roosevelt hits the trail to convince more progressives to uh -huh. take control of the Republican Party. Okay, well, that's uh, interesting. Because he thinks the Republican Party, uh, if it becomes more conservative, it will lose the presidency to the Democrats come next election. Got it. Right, so Teddy comes up with this thing called New Nationalism, hmm. which is basically what you'd expect. He said the worker was more important than capitalist gains, uh, that businesses needed more government regulation, and also wanted to ban companies from contributing to political campaigns. Ooh. So those are de debatable issues. Yeah. Um, I don't really have an opinion on any of them. Well, I say fuck the workers. But besides <laughs> that, I'm on board. <laughs> well, so the plan is essentially to make the Republican Party more liberal in order to save it from losing to the Democratic Party. Okay. So does this sound familiar at all? Yeah, it does. Okay, I, I, I think so. And does it work? No! Oh, <laughs> the Democratic no. Party won majority in the House for the first time in 20 years. Wow. After this liberalization of the Republican Party. Interesting. Which is super interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and this is actually where you started to see the shift. Right. The Republicans were like, oh shit, we went too liberal, go back. Mm. Right? So they went and became conservative, and that's why, you know, northern states... Uh, vote blue today and southern states vote red. Yes. Uh, when they didn't 100 years ago. Yeah. So there's, okay. that's where the shift began. Interesting. Um, so the, the Democrats have the House, all right? Yes. And among these Democratic victors uh, was Teddy's cousin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, oh. uh, who basically won by saying that he was Teddy 2.0. Oh, so <laughs> vote Democrat. Oh. <laughs> yes, it's very topsy turvy. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. the Republicans are not pleased with what has happened, and progressive Republicans are the least pleased of them all. Mm. So obviously it's time to start a useless society <laughs> uh, called the Progressive Republican League oh. in order to resist the new movement going on. Mm. So they've got this society. Yeah. The Progressive Republican League. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's 1912, and it's time for another election. Cool. And a man named Woodrow Wilson decides to run. Oh, that guy. Yeah. At this point, though, Teddy is thinking about running again. Uh, oh, yeah. Which would be a third term? Which would be a third term. Okay. Which he morally opposed earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, now yeah, he's yeah. like, I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> and he starts saying, but he does this by saying, well, if you ask me, I, I won't say sure, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's asked. <laughs> I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> so he's asked and he runs. Okay. And so he hits the campaign trail and starts openly identifying as a progressive. Mm -hmm. Like he's a progressive Republican. Yeah. And he starts supporting all kinds of new reforms. In particular, he believed that if a court case was decided by a judge and enough people didn't agree with it, it could be over turned. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, not in line with the law at all. No. That's like a completely new thing. Yeah. Um, but Taft at this point was completely broken from his association with Teddy, by, and he did this by declaring, such extremists are not progressives, they are political emotionalists or neurotics. Oh. Stern yeah. words, yeah. <laughs> so he's not a fan of Teddy and his progressive no. bunch. Uh, so the Republican Party is just shattered at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So Teddy leaves and starts the Bull Moose Party. Ah, uh, yes. Because he once told a reporter he was strong as a bull moose. <laughs> Creative, I know. It'll come up later. Yes, okay. uh, So this this new progressive party is all about civil rights for black people, which is a good thing. Great, yeah. Uh, but Teddy's not in for it uh, and runs a lily white campaign. Uh, oh. Yeah, so he does, he's like, his progressive party's like, yeah, civil rights for everyone. And he's like, nah, 
<laughs> okay. Uh, hmm. So there's Lily, the Lily White movement. Yeah, uh, is a, is a movement against civil rights for. Oh, blacks. so there you go. That's yeah. progress for you. <laughs> Shit. And this progressive doesn't make much progress in the election. Pretty much winning nothing at all. Well, good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, that's Teddy, that progressive I was talking about. Yeah. Then suddenly, while Roosevelt is in Milwaukee, uh, a man, shout out to shout Milwaukee. Shout out to Milwaukee, uh, yeah. Well, a man named John Flamang Schrank <laughs> shoots Roosevelt. I would too if that was my name. <laughs> <laughs> so the bullet passed through Roosevelt's steel glasses case, oh. a 50-page speech that was folded in half and buries in his chest. Oh, gosh. Nearby people grabbed the would-be assassin and were about to hang him, but Roosevelt yelled for them to leave him alone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So... That's pretty honorable, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so then Roosevelt delivers the speech. Without wait, going to the hospital. Wait, he's got a bullet in his he's chest. got a bullet in his chest. <laughs> it's a 90-minute speech, and there's <laughs> blood just seeping through his shirt. Uh, it's like sitting through the Lion King with a bullet in his chest. That's how long, 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he, he said the following hilarious things. Uh-huh. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. <laughs> so yeah. he went to the hospital after that, and the doctors had a look and just kind of left the bullet in there. <laughs> yep. So oh, they left the bullet in. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess you gotta do that sometimes. Uh, so yeah, he carried that bullet to his grave. Oh, so yeah. it's still with him. Yeah, it's like I, I got a piece of pencil lead stuck in my hand and I can still see it. I got Oh, I've got the same thing yeah, in my arm. Got it yeah. stuck there when I was like seven. He's got like a bullet probably visible. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Anyway, so the election is on. Yes. It's Woodrow Wilson versus Howard Taft versus Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, what? And Taft got crushed. <laughs> oh. But Roosevelt didn't do much better. Oh. Woodrow Wilson won in a landslide, which was fine by Roosevelt. Uh, at least it wasn't Taft. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time a Democrat won in about 20 years. Wow. So again, you see this like Switch. This huge switch yeah. all of a sudden. Uh, so out of politics again, he quits. Uh, Roosevelt goes on another expedition. Oh, his backup plan. Yep. <laughs> so in 1913, he joins up uh, with some priest and heads to <laughs> South America. Uh, the point of the expedition was to kill more animals for museums and also to find the headwaters of the Rio de Vida and then head to the Amazon River for some swimming and ice cream. Uh, oh, okay. But not everything goes so great. Oh, no. It's the rainy season down there when they start the journey, oh, uh, which means the rivers are much more tumultuous than usual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, trying to prevent a pair of canoes from wrecking, Teddy jumped into the river uh, and cut his leg on something. Ooh. And if I had to guess, I'm not a medical expert, yeah. but probably the last place you want to be getting a cut is in a South American yeah. river. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, he gets tropical fever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yep. So the bullet uh, in his chest doesn't even doesn't make things better. Ugh. In fact, it makes things worse. Oh, no. So he was so weak that he couldn't leave his bed and had to be attended by a doctor 24-7. Oh, God. He had a fever of 103. Jeez. And was just completely zonked most wow. of the time. Uh, so he tells his ex expedition to leave him behind to die, but they don't because his son Kermit won't let that happen. Well, when you have a son who's a frog, what yeah, can you do? Yeah. It's not easy being green, and he knows it. <laughs> so Roosevelt nearly dies then and there, and he mm. lost 50 pounds from oh, his illness. Jesus! I know. Man, Taft needed to fall in this river and lose 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he went back to New York uh -huh. uh, to recover. And that's where we're going to leave our feverish progressive for now, and when we come back, we'll find out what it does take to kill a bull moose. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right, so that was... Uh, that was Wow, quite long. Do you want to take a break? Yeah, I, I need to take a smoke, and I don't know what we can smoke in here, but that's somewhere. Uh, we'll find the Industrial Revolution section yes. and smoke there. They won't there notice. Go. Yeah, they won't notice. Okay. So. We'll be right back, everybody. Yep. 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 Ah! And we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about 
a Teddy Roosevelt. Almost <laughs> said Winston Churchill. Well, same. We were talking about Winston same. Churchill's uh, <laughs> adult life, and now we'll be talking about Attila the Hun's adult life. James, take it away. Okay, well, when we last left Attila the Hun, he was the new king of the Hunnic Empire, along with his brother Bleda, who was the other king. Right. Two kings. Right. And about this time, some uh, Hun nobles don't really like that Attila uh, and Bleda are the kings, so they speak out and then are forced to flee for their lives. Okay. Like and from danger of Attila and Bleda, or the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because uh, most of the Hun supported these guys. Right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, these... Uh, Descending nobles flee to the Eastern Roman Empire for safety and help. Okay. But remember, at this point in time, the Huns and the Romans have somewhat of a peace treaty worked out? Right. Yeah, uh, so the Romans pay the Huns for mercenaries, and also maybe so they won't attack them. Okay. Uh, but now the Eastern Roman Empire is harboring some Hun fugitives. Okay. So Attila and Bleda, de Bleda demand to speak with the Eastern Romans about this, and so the Romans send a diplomat to talk with the Huns. And what's kind of cool is that during the meeting, Attila and his brother Bleda sat on their horses, because how, that's how tied to horses the Huns were. <laughs> Interesting. They were sitting on the horses, yeah. Oh. Anyway, the Huns and Eastern Romans work out a new treaty. Good! The Romans will return the fugitives, they will double their tribute, open their markets to Hun merchants, pay the ransoms for some Romans who had been captured by the Huns as long as please oh please oh please oh please don't <laughs> invade our empire okay so Attila and Bleda are sufficiently pleased with this agreement so the Romans are happy that they aren't being invaded and work on strengthening their infrastructure while the Huns decide to go invade a different empire the Sassanid Empire or the second Persian Empire over in Iraq and the Middle Eastern area okay uh, so for the next few years Attila and Bleda lead the Huns across Russia and down into the Caucasus where they are promptly defeated by the Sassanid Empire in Armenia so okay. the Huns decide to go back to Central Europe to bother the Romans again because the Romans were big pushovers. Right. Yeah. Oh, hey, pickles. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so the Huns do that, and at this point, the Romans and Huns are still kind of at peace. All right. But then something happens. Oh, no. A Roman priest living in the Roman city of Margus acquires some land that belonged to Attila. Oh, it, like he acquires it he, how? I think he bought it. Oh, okay. And, yeah. So um, he bought it? Yeah. So Attila and the Huns march to the city of Margus and demand that they surrender the priest to the Huns. Okay. Make, okay. Yeah. So the Romans refuse, and naturally the only logical thing happens. Right. The priest leaves the city that was protecting him, joins the Huns, and then betrays his own city to the Huns! Whoa! Yeah, dick move! Yeah! Uh, uh. So now pretty much all-out war begins between the Romans and the Huns, okay. and the Huns just roll over all of the Romans. Oh. Well, not all of them, but okay. some of them. Uh, they sack the city of Illyricum, take some forts, and kill some Roman merchants. Oh! Uh, and yeah, now we're gonna bring this program to a halt real quick and switch over to our other program of What the Hell is Happening Down in Africa. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to What the Hell is Happening Down in Africa and What the Hell is Happening Indeed. So Aaron, we've been watching those vandal hordes for the past couple weeks and I gotta say, I really like their style. Yeah, James, I agree with you there. The vandals have really upped their A-game in the last decade. Mm, yeah, now as I understand it, the vandals have a new player? Is there anything you can tell us about 
about this. Uh, absolutely. Yes, uh, guy Sarek, number 43, has really shown us what he can do. He's a grad from Duke University, has an astounding batting average of .453, and 83 touchdown passes in last year's season, and has recently become the team captain of the Vandal Hordes. Outstanding! And what can you tell us about last night's big game? Well, I can tell you that a lot of people are going to be crying about their brackets. Last night, guy Sarek led his team to an overwhelming victory over the Western Roman Empire. ESPN had their bets on the Romans, but Guy Sarek made a huge upset by marching through Spain, conquering all of North Africa, and sacking the important Roman city of Carthage. Well, that really is quite the upset. The Western Roman Empire is going to have a hell of a time recovering from this defeat. So, Aaron, how do you see the rest of the Roman season playing out? Well, James, if the Romans want to recover from this, they're definitely going to have to act quickly. Africa was the biggest supplier of grain for the Western Roman Empire, and this could devastate all the Roman fans out there. However, in a meeting with the press this morning, the Romans did announce that they would be pulling their armies from the Balkans in order to deal with the rising Vandal power in Africa. Only time will tell whether or not this new strategy will work for the Romans. Well, that certainly is an interesting development. Join us tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, to see whether or not this new African campaign will work out. Yeah, so uh, the Romans make the mistake of pulling their armies from the Balkans in order to go fight the Vandals in North Africa. Right. And this kind of makes sense because Africa was a really important province for Rome, mm -hmm. but this also left the Roman Empire wide open for the Huns. Okay. So Attila and his brother Bleda invade the Roman Empires, both the West and the East. They sack the cities of Singadunum, Singadunum, I don't know. Sirmium, Margus, <laughs> Viminasium. Well done. Uh, and in these cities, the Huns find some important Roman technology like battering rams, siege towers, and catapults, which allow the Huns to take the fortified Roman cities of Ratiara and <laughs> Nasus, Sertica, Philopopolis. <laughs> Arcadiopolis. I can see somebody's hooked on phonics. <laughs> uh, and they destroy a Roman army outside of Constantinople itself. Ooh, whoa, whoa. Uh, thankfully for the Romans, though, the walls and defenses of Constantinople were too much for the Huns, so the Huns instead go and defeat a second Roman army. Damn! Uh, after this, the Romans sent a, di sent a diplomat to Attila and Bleda and asked for peace. As you do. Uh, the Hun kings agreed to peace, but the terms were pretty brutal for the Romans. Classic. Uh, the Eastern Roman Empire had to give the Huns six 6,000 pounds of gold, <laughs> oh. as well as agree to a yearly tribute of 2,100 pounds of gold. Well, that's nice. But at least peace is agreed upon. I guess. <laughs> so the Huns pack up and go back home, and on the way home, Attila's brother Bleda dies under some sketchy circumstances, and now Attila is the sole king of the Huns, even though this probably means he killed his own brother. Whoa, what's it the evidence for that, James? Well, they found a dildo on his backpack. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> So now it's about the year 445 CE, and Attila is now the sole king and leader of the Huns. Okay! And although he's currently receiving an annual tribute from the Eastern Roman Empire, Attila wants more! Of course! Uh, so Attila gathers up his troops and invades the Eastern Roman Empire with his greedy sights on their capital city of Constantinople. Wait, I thought they were getting tribute! Uh, yeah, not, not enough for our boy Attila. Okay. Yeah. So the Eastern Romans respond by mustering all of their soldiers in the area and 
meeting the Huns at the Battle of Utus in 447 CE. Okay. Uh, the result was a Hun vit victory, but at a heavy cost. Oh. Now Attila's forces are depleted, and he doesn't know whether or not he can take the city of Constantinople. Oh. Uh, see, taking the city is also notoriously difficult because of its massive walls and battlements. Right. Those famous Constantinople walls. Right. Oh, but good news for the Huns. An earthquake hits Constanti Constantinople and destroys huge segments of the walls. Oh. Oh, but bad news for the Huns. The Praetorian soldiers within Constantinople organize a massive and lightning-fast rebuilding effort and manage to rebuild all the collapsed walls in just two months. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Wow. Uh, also, a bunch of soldiers from the Roman, pro Roman province of Turkey arrive to help defend the city. Okay. So Attila decides that attacking Constantinople would be futile, so instead leads his hordes all throughout the Balkans, pillaging, raping, murdering, and doing what barbarian hordes tend to do. Yeah, like knitting. <laughs> yeah, yes. Ew. Kind of. Okay. Uh, finally, the Eastern Emperor Theodosius II decides that enough is enough. He sends diplomats to Attila. The two sides agree to a new peace treaty. Okay. The Romans agree to pay Attila a huge yearly tribute, and in addition, a huge no man's land is established between the borders of Attila's empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. And the no man's land was so vast that in some places it took a five-day journey just to path, pass through it. Wow. Yeah. Now, up until this point, Attila has spent most of his efforts attacking the Eastern Roman Empire, which didn't really work because he was unable to take Constantinople. Right. Uh, but over in the West, the Western Roman Empire isn't doing too well. Okay. Uh, they've been invaded by dozens of Germanic hordes fleeing Attila, and the whole empire is really in shambles. Prime target. Yeah. But the, Ro the Western Romans and the Huns were actually on pretty good terms. Oh. Uh, in fact, this dude named Flavius Attius <laughs> had spent much time living among and being trained by the Huns. And now this same Flavius is one of the last powerful and influential generals of the Western Roman armies. Okay. Uh, so he, he kind of likes the Huns and Attila kind of likes him. Okay. Uh, and the Western Romans kind of like the Huns and the Huns kind of like them. But all of this was about to change. Oh, no. Yeah. You see, even though that the Huns and Western Romans were technically allied, Attila really, really, really wanted to invade them because that's just what you do when you lead a huge barbarian army. Right. So all Attila wanted was a reason to invade. And he got this reason! Oh! Uh, the Western Roman Emperor at this time, Emperor Valentinian III, had a sister named Honoria. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like an STD. Yes, it does. Uh, it could be, uh, I don't know, honoree. Uh, it's, anyway. Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> and as is the Roman arist aristocratic way, Valentinian planned to marry his sister Honoria to a Roman senator. Okay. But Honoria didn't like this idea at all because this particular senator was boring <laughs> as hell. And it was a forced arranged marriage. Okay. You know? uh, so Honoria does the only wise thing and sends her engagement ring and a plea for help <gasps> to Attila. Whoa. Now, we're not really sure what Honoria wanted this message to be, but Attila interpreted it as basically a marriage offer. Well, you sent him a ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. uh, so Attila announces that he accepts Honoria's proposal and humbly asks for half the Western what? Roman Empire as the dowry. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, meanwhile, Roman Emperor Valentinian learns about his sister's message and almost kills her. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but his mom convinced him to exile her instead of execution, which, which is good. That is better. Yeah. So Valentinian then publicly announces that this marriage is not going to take place. And of course, he is not going to give the Huns half of his empire as a marriage gift. No, you yeah. just don't do that. No. <laughs> Uh, but Attila doesn't agree with this, and so he proclaims that he is going to march in with his army, marry Honoria, and claim the land that is rightfully his. Wow. Oh, and it looks re like we're going to have to pause this uh, story real quick because we're receiving an update on the Frankish election. Uh, yeah, things are really starting to heat up with the Franks. Uh, who are the Franks, you ask? I didn't ask. Well, <laughs> the Franks are a Germanic horde that moved into the Western Roman Empire and took over what we call uh, France today. Wow. Uh, Franks, France, <gasps> Franks, France. I see a connection. Mm, yes. Gee. Wow. FR. Uh, but the <laughs> but the Franks are excellent warriors, and so everybody wants to be allies with them or control them. Right. And unfortunately, the Frankish king just died. Oh, no! And now everybody is split as to whether his eldest son or his youngest son should inherit the Frankish kingdom. Hmm. Now, to make matters more complicated, everybody wants a say in the succession struggle. Of course they do. No. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> I'm awake. So rude. God <laughs> damn it. Okay. Now, do you remember that guy Fla Flavius, who I mentioned earlier? Yes. Uh, yeah, he spent some time among the Huns, like I said, and now he's a really powerful Roman general. Right. Yeah, well, he supports the younger Frankish son. Okay. And guess who supports the elder son? Oh, shit. Yeah, our boy Attila. Ugh. So now it looks like the Western Romans and the Huns are finally going to come head to head despite their somewhat friendlier relations earlier. Okay, that just happens when you're dealing with barbarian hordes. Yeah, it's yep. what happens when you deal with the Franks. Yep. Yeah, well, Attila decides he's going to win this at any cost. Oh, of course. So he gathers all of his vassals, which at this point are the Gepids, the Ostrogoths, the Heralds, the Scyrians, the Thuringians, the Thuringians, Thuringians, <laughs> Alans, and Burgundians, and of course the Huns. So a big ass force. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so one guy at the time estimated Attila had about half a million soldiers, Sweet Jesus. which is probably exaggerated, but nonetheless, the army is massive. Okay. Uh, so the Huns and their allies march into Western Roman territory and just start sacking all sorts of towns and cities. Well, when you say a barbarian horde marched into an area, I assume they just sack and yeah. pillage all sorts yeah. of cities. They actually destroyed the important city of Metz, oh. which is still around today. Uh, so they didn't destroy it very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, of course, the Romans respond by sending our boy Flavius with a big-ass Roman army to stop the Huns once and for all. Okay. But the Romans don't have nearly enough soldiers to take on Attila, so they ally with the Visigoths, okay. who had previously been their enemies. Yes. But as the good lord saith, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and clearly the Huns are the biggest threat to everybody at this point. Right. So a last alliance of elves and men, <laughs> or, or Romans and Visigoths, march out to meet the Huns in what's sure to be a decisive and bloody battle. Okay. And it was. The resulting battle is known as the Battle of the Catalanian Plains. It took place on June 20th, 451, and it was huge! Okay! Uh, as each side could have as, had as many as 80,000 soldiers. Oh, that's horrifying to imagine. Yeah. Ugh. So, the morning of the battle, before it took place, okay. Attila told his priest to make a sacrifice. Uh, the priest sacrificed some animals, examined the entrails, and told Attila that this upcoming battle would be a disaster for the Huns, oh. but that one of the enemy leaders would also die in the battle. So Attila decides to fight the battle anyway. Right. Not a very religious man, perhaps. Okay. 
Uh, but he does decide to wait until dusk to engage the enemy. Uh, thus, if he did lose, Nightfall would give his men enough cover to escape, which is pretty smart, I guess. Yes, but yeah. you're also fighting in the dark. Well, yeah, it quickly <laughs> turns into that. Okay. So the two forces eventually met on the plains, and there was heavy fighting, uh, especially on a couple of hills next to the plains, because both sides wanted to get the high ground. Right. But neither was able to push the other army off the hill. King of the hill with swords. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and dismemberment. Yeah. And death. Yeah. A childhood favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then nightfall, nightfall struck, and neither Attila nor Flavius could see what was happening, but both feared that they had lost. Oh, wow. And the fighting continued through much of the night, with neither commander knowing what the fuck was happening. Okay, yeah, well, uh, obviously. Yeah. So the next morning, Flavius and his Visigothic allies inspected the battlefield and found the hill and surrounding plains just littered with corpses, Ooh. with actual mountains of dead men in some places. Ow. Yeah, uh, but what was clear was that the Huns had suffered the most, and that the Romans and Visigoths were victorious, even though the cost was huge to right. everybody. Okay. Uh, in fact, the Visigothic king, King Theodoric, had actually died in the battle, Whoa. Uh, which meant that the message the priest told Attila had actually been true. True, which is kind of weird. Yeah, uh, but the battle was not over yet. Attila and many of his men had retreated to their camp, so the Romans and Visigoths immediately surrounded it. Uh, Attila, fearing that this was the end, quote, heaped up a funeral pyre of horse saddles so that if the enemy should attack him, he was determined to cast himself into the flames that none might have the joy of wounding him and that the lord of so many races might not fall into the hands of his foes. Uh, ah! Mm. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Like committing suicide so you don't have to uh, hit with a sword. Um, it's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's at least understandable. Well, okay, if the Romans, if the Visigoths had captured him, I don't know what the fuck would have happened to him. Yeah. But uh, what Rome generally did to enemies was tie him up and parade him through Rome and humiliate them in a giant parade. Well, and then torture and execute them. Of so, course. Yeah, so that sucks. Yeah, I'd rather be burned. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, the, at this time, the Roman general Flavius was concerned that his Visigoth allies would turn on him as soon as the Huns were gone. Uh, so there seems to be a lot of debate on what actually happens next. Okay. But what does happen is the Visigoths eventually left the battlefield, the Romans didn't chase down the Huns, and Attila managed to escape with much of his army still intact. Well, good for Attila. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, thus, there's a lot of debate as to who actually won the battle, although it seems most agree it was a Roman tactical victory that just wasn't followed up on so well. Okay. Yeah. All right. But what's important is that Attila is not done yet. Good. Kind of. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, not he's good. been sacking cities, so... Right, well, so knows? not good. Yeah. Not good. I meant, didn't mean that. I'm just tired. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, Attila goes back home, rebuilds his forces, and decides that it's about time to renew his rescue of his to-be bride, Honoria. Remember okay, her? yeah. Yeah. So, in the year 452 CE, Attila led the Huns in an invasion of Italy itself. Oh, what? Okay. <laughs> well, it's, the it's like the right. home of the Romans, yeah. yeah. And the Huns just ravaged the country. Oh. Uh, several cities were sacked, and the city of Achalia, uh, like I don't know. Yeah. It was destroyed so thoroughly that for years afterwards, it was impossible to locate where the city Whoa. had been. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, meanwhile, our Roman boy Flavius tries to raise the man manpower needed to defeat Attila again, but he just doesn't have the men. Okay. So instead, he uses the few soldiers he does have to harass and skirmish Attila's army. Smart move. Right. And to make matters worse for Attila, starvation and disease are quickly diminishing his ranks. Well, that's too bad for Attila. Yeah. 
Uh, meanwhile, uh, an Eastern Roman army was invading Attila's kingdom back home and defeated all the Huns back there. Whoa. And worse still, Attila was afraid. Oh. Yeah, a bit of history. Okay. Uh, so in 410 CE, a couple decades earlier, this guy named Alaric, uh, he led some barbarians and s actually sacked Rome. Right. Uh, but then he died very soon thereafter, and Attila was scared that the gods would punish him in the same way should he push on and attack Rome. Oh. So in the end, Attila and the Western Roman Empire agreed to peace terms. Attila then returned with his forces back to his kingdom in the Hungary area uh, in order to rebuild his strength and plan a second, which would actually be a third invasion of the Eastern Roman Empire. Oh, gosh, you just can't quit. No, uh, but I think we'll leave we'll leave him there until uh, his death. But as for that chick, Honoria, whatever happened with her? Uh, well, know. we don't know. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, she never married Attila. Okay. That never happened. Uh, and from what I could find, she was mo most likely killed soon after Attila's invasion of Italy, either by her brother, the emperor, or by some vandal raiders. Uh, the other option is that she did end up marrying that boring Roman senator she was originally <laughs> given to. Either way, her story ends badly. Okay. Yeah. So I guess my question is, did she cause it? She kind of did. Kind of. She yeah. was kind of the the reason, the spark. So I could see while Italy's being, you know, steamrolled, yeah. her brother killing her. Well, he's the emperor and he's trying to hold on to this fractured, invaded right. country. Right. And uh, she's would, kind of a traitor. It would, yeah, exactly. It would make sense if she was executed. Yeah. It would make perfect sense. Yeah. 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 So who knows? Okay, well, I think we should just roll right over to Teddy Roosevelt's end and death! Yes. All right. So, when we left Roosevelt, he was in a bad way, having just gotten over tropical fever, which he contracted on his expedition to South America. But now, he's back on his feet, and he wants to run for president again! Oh. <laughs> as, wait for it, a Republican! Oh. It doesn't work. Ah. And after this election, the Progressive Party just kind of vanishes. Oh, okay. Yeah, they sort of disseminate between the two ah. parties, mostly to the Democratic Party, which is interesting. But... Interesting, yeah. But do you know what time it is, James? I, I don't. It's time for World War I! Oh my god! Roosevelt strongly supported the Allies, obviously. Sure. He also had a problem with Germany's submarines, mm. like a moral problem with it. Yeah. Uh, he also really hated that Woodrow Wilson decided to stay out of the war, especially after Germany he invaded Belgium. Okay. Uh, Teddy was also convinced that uh, part of the reason Woodrow, Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, I hate that name, yeah. um, refused to join in the fun of World War One because uh, <laughs> he wanted to maintain the votes of Irish and German Americans. Okay. Because to intercede and join the British would piss off both groups. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the theory. Sure. So anyway, he said that no American, this is Teddy speaking, he said mm -hmm. that no American should be a, quote, hyphenated American. They had to be all Americans. Oh, I kind of like that, yeah. A little bit like Citizen Kane. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Teddy starts another group of soldiers, uh, similar to his Rough Riders, to go join the fight against uh, Germany and her allies. Mm. But Woodrow Wilson basically said, nah, because, you know, he wanted to stay out of it. Yeah. But then he sent American soldiers to Europe, like, <laughs> right after that. Yeah. And, like, what? What? Make up your mind, you fucking loser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that. Um, yeah. But anyway, so Roosevelt took it personally, and honestly, who wouldn't? Sure. Because like, he's like, I got this band of guys. We're going to go save the world. And yeah. Woodrow Wilson's like, nah, I don't like you. Actually. And, uh, <laughs> actually, I'm going to send these guys. Yes. The Doughboys. Anyway, so Teddy keeps going with the politics, but basically gets nothing done. Mm. Uh, after the war was over, uh, Roosevelt's health 
health worsened. Mm. And in January of 1919, Roosevelt was having trouble breathing. Oh. A doctor came by, treated him, and Roosevelt went to bed, where he promptly died in his sleep at 60. That's pretty young. Yeah. So yeah. the vice president announced uh, Teddy's death the next day and said famously that death had to take Roosevelt sleeping, for if he had been awake, there would have been a fight. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Now... We can discuss this a little bit. I felt mm-hmm. like there was more you had to say about Teddy Roosevelt than I did. Well, wow. Uh, I think the big thing about Teddy Roosevelt is he was an imperialist, mm-hmm. and he was all about making America like a world player, mm-hmm. which, I don't know, kind of depends on how you feel about imperialism and <laughs> colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think he's a complex kind of guy. Because yeah. He's got that side of him where he's like, let's go conquer shit. And then he's like, save the forests. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he's also calling himself a progressive and, you know, um, I would say becoming more classically liberal, mm-hmm. um, which is something I kind of like about him. He's he's very nuanced. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't care much for, for people who are, like, far to one side and won't even consider the others. But it right. sounds like he had, like... Yeah. Almost some conflicting perspectives. Sure. Um, and he did change up the Democratic Party to be what it is today. That's true. Um, and also, in effect, to change the Republican Party to be kind of what it is today. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the North shifted from, you know, red to blue and the South shifted from blue to red. Yeah. Um, and it's it's probably policies like that, if I think about it, you know. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so I think that's enough about him. Sure. Let's move to Attila the Huns and end death. Okay, well, when we last left Attila, he had just negotiated a peace with the Western Roman Empire and was now back at home planning a new invasion of the Eastern Roman Empire. Okay. But first, it's time to get married. Again. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Attila already had quite a few wives, but then he came across a pretty young girl named Ildiko. Okay. Uh, So the two lovebirds got married. They celebrated with a huge feast and then go off to the bedchamber. Woo! Yep, but during the night, Attila gets really drunk oh. and then gets nosebleed. Oh no. And he's too drunk to stop the nosebleed. Oh, so fuck. he chokes to death on his own nose blood on his wedding night. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this shit up. No. Wow. So the next day, the guards enter the chamber to find Ildiko weeping on the side of the bed and Attila lying there naked, covered uh. in his own blood and dead. Whoa. Uh, now, this is the traditional story of Attila's death, and there are a lot of historians that favor it. And it's mm-hmm. also my favorite. Okay. But we don't really know if it's true. Okay. Uh, other theories are that he died from basically ripping apart his own esophagus oh. after heavy drinking, oh. which I guess is a thing that can happen. Ah! Yeah. Uh, other theories are that his new wife actually killed him, while others think the Eastern Roman Emperor was behind it. Okay. Whatever the case, Attila the Hun died in March of 453 CE. See, it would make sense if she assassinated him. I mean, I don't know, but that would make sense. Yeah, I want to say that they thought she was... Uh, from the goth tribes and the goths didn't like the huns but i don't know okay anyway so um the huns were of course devastated by this news oh uh, yes so in the hun way they got on their horses shaved their heads and beards and rode circles around attila's tent oh that's so sad <laughs> yeah. Uh, then they put his body in a gold, silver, and iron coffin. Well, shit. <laughs> uh, then the Huns went to an unidentified river, built a dam to change the direction of the river flow, dug a grave in the riverbed, placed uh-huh. Attila's coffin in his riverbed grave, and then changed the river back to its original course so it would, it would cover Attila's grave. Uh, so it's under this flowing river, which wow. is kind of epic. That is kind of epic. Uh, then all the people who dug the grave were killed. Uh, uh, so Attila's okay. resting place is a complete mystery. Well, that's nice. It's in a river somewhere. Yeah. 
Uh, as for Attila's empire, it did not last long. All of his sons claimed different parts of it and fought each other over it. Classic. Meanwhile, neighboring tribes ate up other parts of it, and that's about it. Well... Uh, now, as far as Attila the Hun's legacy, he has a pretty huge legacy. Okay. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody knows the name Attila the Hun. I right? didn't until they made a game about him. Really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know anything about him, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 800 years after Attila's death, the royal court of Hungary proclaimed they were the descendants of Attila, which okay. is kind of interesting. All right. Uh, a lot of countries see Attila as a hero and a great warrior. He actually shows up in several Norse sagas, which oh, is kind of random. That is random. Uh, in 1812, Beethoven himself wanted to write an opera about Attila, but unfortunately it never came about. That would be cool. Yeah. In World War One, Allied propaganda famously portrayed the Germans as the Huns. Uh-huh. And this was because Emperor Wilhelm II of Germany made a speech praising Attila's military genius and strength. Uh, okay, yeah, that makes so sense. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Uh, in Hungary and Germany, Attila is still a very popular name for males. Really? In his honor, yeah. I did not know that. Uh, in 1974, the Turks invaded the island of Cyprus and called this operation the Attila Plan. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, Oh, there are many books and movies about him, uh, but probably most famously, Attila is remembered as being the scourge of God, uh, because he was sent by God to punish the Romans for their sins. Okay. Also, what? Total War made a mediocre game <laughs> called Attila Total War, and I'm not biased at all, but seriously, if you want a good Total War game, play Rome Total War, Medieval 2 Total War, or Shogun 2 Total War, because not that Attila is bad, it's not, it's just not... Oh, it's not the scourge of God it ought to be. Right, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We want our games to be scourges of God. Yes, exactly. All right. Well. Well, shit. That's about, that about does it. Yeah. So, uh, Teddy, did we do all right? Don't call me, Teddy. And no, you did very poorly. I hasten to add that you boys are hopeless fools. Fine. Well, Teddy, it's been great talking, but we really should get back on duty. There's a T-Rex out there somewhere. Yeah. Just remember to talk softly and carry a big stick and you'll do all right. Talking softly is literally impossible for me. Yeah, and I don't know if there are any big sticks around here anyway. Well, I guess you boys are gonna have a tough night then. We'll get through it. We're both gonna quit in the morning anyway. All right, well, good night then, and goodbye. Well, he's wax again. Should we put him back on display? Nah, just leave him here. It'll be a great prank. Perf. <laughs> Well, I think it's about time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to buy four quarters from your idiot nephew, helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of God play you out. Thank mm -hmm. you.